Morning show at East Coast FM. Now, Pete, the vet is back from the Pet Innovation Summit in Boston, Massachusetts, and is here to tell us about what he's learned from the summit. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Declan. Good morning to you. How was it in America? Actually, tell us about traveling there and back and all these restrictions and what you have to do. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. It's very difficult just now. So you have to have a test done before you go. And, of course, you worry very much that the test's going to be positive, even if you're feeling fine. And if it was positive, then the whole trip would have to be completely cancelled, and that would be the end of it. But that's, that's bad enough. But then when you're in the States and you're ready to come home, again, you've got to be tested within 24 hours of, of, of coming home. Uh, and if your test is positive, and it might be because you're, you know, you're in America and you are meeting different people, if it was positive, you'd be stuck in America for two weeks, and you've got to find a hotel somewhere, and you've got to rebook your flight. I mean, the whole thing would be, you know, you'd miss, I'd have missed Christmas at home if that had happened. So it's, it certainly adds an immense amount of stress to, to travel. Yeah. Mm. Okay, but uh, think about what you've learned. I mean, that's mm. the thing, you know, at the Pet Innovation Summit. So what is that uh, and why were you there? Well, I, I, um, I was there, um, I, was, I was part of a panel to discuss um, a, a topic called filling the gaps in, in veterinary care for pets. Uh, and basically, um, it was to do with the Pet Fix Club, with the website I'm involved with, which is providing information and advice to people about their pets online. And, and basically, I was, I was there representing Europe almost, if you like, and there were um, a bunch of people from America who um, offer similar types or variants on that. In other words, veterinary care online. And so we were really just discussing um, and giving a presentation about how that's developing and how... Uh, how, how that's changing the world of pet care. But that was only a little bit of the whole summit. The summit was about, really, well, innovation says it all, but new things that are happening in the pet care world. Um, and there were a combination of three groups of people there. First of all, there were, there were people like myself who were um, talking about and, and developing services and products that are new and, and interesting. So about a third of the delegates were that, were that, were those types of people. Then about a third of them were, were vets and pet owners who are going to find out what's happening that might affect the, the services they offer to the pet owners. And then the third group, the third, the third, um, sector of people were investors who are interested in, uh, um, there's no doubt that the pet care area is one of those that has boomed since COVID started. And so investors are interested in looking for the next exciting development to put their money into to, to, to support them and hopefully for them to, to, to make a, um, some sort of return in the long run. So there was three groups of people there like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really they were looking at every aspect of how things are changing. And it was led by presentations from people whose speciality is looking at data. And this really is a new world. In other words, what they do is they go out to, you know, all those websites, you you log on to all those apps, and it says, do you accept terms and conditions? And you click yes. And do you accept cookies? And you click yes. And you just forget about that then. But what what we don't realize is that what that means is that once you've clicked yes, yes, um, everything you do in that app or website um, gets fed to that company as data about what you like, about your preferences, and about how you behave. And then companies then gather all of that data and put it all together, and they use then artificial intelligence to analyze it and then get a really clear picture of what people really want. And that's what the start of the summit was about, was telling us what people really want from pet care now and the interesting thing is that it is changing and i think um i was in the states the states 
is probably 10 years ahead of where we are in Ireland. But what it says to me is, this is where we're going. And, um, you know, the trends that we heard about at the Pet Care Innovation Summit are trends that are likely to arrive here at some stage. And that's what's so interesting about it. Mm. Uh, the States, though, is, is a big country with different attitudes, north, south, east and west. And, I mean, for years we've joked about uh, the Hollywood or, or downtown Burbank type of pet ownership, uh, which is uh, fluffy dogs being taken into, uh, you know, beauty parlours and all sorts of things. That is not relevant, and I can't imagine it being relevant here ever. So are we talking about the down-to-earth pet owner uh, in, in this conversation? Well, I, I don't think it's right to say that will not be here ever. We are seeing that now here in Ireland. Um, it is starting. Um, Come on, Pete. Well, no, not, not the Hollywood type of stuff. It's, 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 we're behind them, but the trend is there. There are, there are people whose white fluffy dogs are their absolute babies and they will do anything at all possible to, 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 to cherish those babies. Um, and, you know... It's still very much minority in this country, but the trend is towards that. Um, but no, this is more about the, the general, the whole picture, the whole population of pet care. And there were some interesting trends that I wrote about in my examiner article this week. And I think the first one, and it's a really big one, is that um, the shift, there's been a shift in who owns pets. Up until COVID, generally, a typical pet owner would be somebody who'd, maybe they, they were in their late 30s, early 40s, they had a family of kids, the youngest kid was probably five or six years of age, and they say it's time to get a, a, a pet to make our family complete. That was a general picture. And so most pet owners then would be over the age of 40, uh, and they carry on having pets to the end of their lives. Well, the big change that came with COVID is that people in their 20s big time started to, to take on pets and that was there's been a surge in that yeah. so people before they have a family themselves before they even settled themselves um people found themselves at home um and they they, they they're on their, they're just single people but they say yeah i'm going to get a pet now and that's been a big trend and so what's, what's happened is the average age of pet ownership has come down from over 40 to under 40 and those younger people they're digital natives. They're, they're, they have a completely different attitude to gathering information and, um, and to interacting with the world. It's very much an internet-based way of interacting with the world. And these are the new pet owners. Uh, and that's right. the trend that's going to continue. Okay. And you say in your article there in the Examiner as well, younger people don't like being called pet owners. They're pet parents. And they, and I suppose we all do this to a certain extent. We treat our pets as human, but they've really gone to town on this one. Yes, it's, that's a really big trend. I've been resisting the term pet parents for a long time. It's something which I find, it, you know, it just feels that it's just not right how can you be a parent of an animal clearly you're not well you might be an adoptive parent at a pinch but that's about it but no that's the these this generation is deciding no we are not owners owners makes us think about slaves and or, or objects and our pets clearly are not slaves they're clearly not objects they're clearly members of the family therefore we are parents um and and so what started as very much a a, a little niche um uh, idea has gone mainstream over there and everybody is now a pet parent um i feel a bit uncomfortable with that sort of nomenclature still but i think that it's something which is kind of hard to avoid that's what the younger ones want
Yeah. And all these decorative things that the poor old pets have to put up with at Christmas, walking along, they can't walk along without their collar, which is full of jingle bells. <laughs> jingle. I mean, that's cruel, please, isn't it? Well, I, I, think, I think at the very limit, some things are, you know, are, are I, I wouldn't say cruel, but they're not necessarily in the best interest of the animals. And I think it's really important to separate out stuff that you're doing because you think it's fun and stuff that's genuinely enjoyable for your dog. I think you have to separate those things out if you can because, because you know, they, animals have their experiences and we should focus on those rather than focusing on our experiences. Mm. Right, this sounds like it was worth going to Boston for anyway. But uh, there's, there's for, loads, for, loads of interesting <laughs> innovative ideas though which we haven't really touched on and the, probably the most exciting one is a dog training robot. Now, I know most folk <laughs> listening, to, listening will say, what load of nonsense. But let me explain a little bit about that. The, this robot, first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a device about the size of a small fridge and it has the capacity, it's got a little t t uh, television screen thing on it and it's got the capacity to, to chuck out treats from the top of it so it can reward your dog. But here's the really interesting bit. It's got camera on it which, has, which uses Google face recognition technology to analyse your dog's expression and to analyze the shape of your dog and the movements of your dog and so what it can do is it can give instructions to your dog and if your dog behaves and, and f carries out those instructions then the dog gets a treat and if you know about dog training you'll know that the three things that are important when, when you're training a dog are first of all lots of repetition and certainly the robot can repeat far more than we can repeat secondly accuracy. In other words, you reward your dog at exactly the right moment. And again, machines are like with, with, with machine learning and with really good cameras, they're much better at being accurate about, about um, identifying when a dog does a particular thing. And the third thing is consistency. In other words, the same thing time after time, consistency. Those three things are important for dog training. And the weird thing is that a really, really smart robot can be better at doing those three things than we humans are. Now, yeah. I've really just touched the surface of that because it is much more complicated. That robot does actually use professional dog trainers to, to fine-tune things and, and to get it, um, you know, to, to, to make sure that everything's been done properly. Um, but this isn't just science fiction. This has now been put out into hundreds of homes in the States and it's working really, really well for badly behaved dogs. So, in my mind, there's absolutely no doubt within the next decade we'll be seeing dog training robots in Irish homes. Yeah. What about this um, remote visit to the vet? Do people like going to the vet, talking to the vet, rather than, say, going on a camera and, and talking to the vet? Yes, um, you and you need to, indeed. I mean, you know, um, a hands-on physical examination is is a really important part of dealing with a sick animal. Um, but what, what they learned in the States, and, and in different parts of the world, the different regulations that allow different levels of full-on telemedicine. What they've, what they've found in Ontario, which is the, the, the province of Canada, which is the most permissive um, rules on, on what you're allowed to do, they found, actually found that it works really, really well as a first line. So, you know, there are, there are so-called veterinary deserts. And what a veterinary desert is, is a, a, a time and a place where it's quite difficult to get access to the vet. So, for example, it could be some parts of the country where literally you're 50 miles away from the vet and you need help right now. Or it could be like three in the morning and, and you know, um, it's difficult to get to, to the vet because there's only an emergency service available. Or it could be that you're... Uh, in a part of town where the traffic is so bad it's going to take you 
over half an hour to drive to the vet. These are what they call veterinary deserts. And that's where online veterinary help can be a okay. really helpful first line where you, you talk to somebody, they check things out for you, and they give you advice on what to do. And I think that, you know, th there's a niche for that, which... which um, services like pet fix club will 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 attend to and they'll be part of the future landscape not 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 a, an alternative to the vet no you need vets obviously but a supplementary way of getting help for animals and and that's okay. really the way it's going one last thing, Councillor Mary Kavanagh said uh, pet owners uh, and pets, and pets are a great comfort to people as they get older, but their means, uh, you know, is, are diminishing as well. Maybe they're, they're retiring, not uh, working, that sort of stuff, just have uh, a pension, and uh, it's expensive to keep a dog, and then it's expensive if dogs get sick. Should there be some sort of scheme, um, a medical card sort of scheme uh, that we have for humans, maybe, that uh, could be... A dog could be incorporated, or a pet could be incorporated into that some some way. Well, that that would be it. Would be very strange if you had a national health service for animals before you had a national health service for. Think of the mental health, though. Oh uh, no, know. I I think it's the ideal. In in the ideal world, that's exactly what you'd have, um, and you, you'd you'd it have um, everybody would 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 if you like pay for this service through through. Um, same sort of thing as, uh, you know, th through their taxes. They pay a small amount every month and all vets would be employees of the state and um, that would be the dream world. So everybody got all the pet health care that they needed and all the human health care they needed. But you, if you did that, you'd be living in quite a high-tax economy and people who didn't want pets and who didn't get um, their mental stress relieved by being close to animals, they might not like that. So I, I think that's unlikely to happen. I think what's more likely, coming back from this, the, this summit, what's more likely is that there will be more vets who will be offering um, more, more accessible, innovative ways of, of getting veterinary care for example subscription services where you pay just like you pay 15 euros a month to spotify and to netflix you pay 15 euros a month mm. to a vet clinic and, and that that enables you to get a range of services included in that subscription that's the sort of thing they're talking about in the states and i think again that's we'll be seeing that here in due course Okay, well, thanks for that enlightening conversation about mm -hmm. the future of pet ownership, or if you're a pet parent. Okay, that is Pete <laughs> Weatherburn, our vet from Brave Vet and Old Connor in Bray. Thanks very much indeed, Pete. Thank you, Dad. Good to talk to you as always. Thank you.